BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rule book and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman. From hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more, whether you are pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Are you ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Jane Merwin's entrepreneurial journey started with five simple words from her mother, learn how to do something. In 1986, Jane founded the professional grade skincare company, Dermalogica, effectively disrupting a beauty industry that at the time championed a makeup first, skincare second approach. Jane trained thousands of skin therapists to create the skincare company that values skill-based professional training and high-quality skincare. And to date, Jane has transformed Dermalogica into a brand people love to see in their homes and trust in their skin therapist treatment room. Today, Jane's joining us at Work Party to talk about catching the entrepreneurial bug, what it takes to disrupt an industry, and how to be an intrapreneur, and so much more. Welcome, Jane. So happy to have you on the show, Jane. I have so much to talk to you about. So let's just dive right in. Tell us about when you first got that entrepreneurship bug. What prompted you to go out and start your own company? And what eventually led you to actually just go for it and take the leap? Well, you know, typical of many entrepreneurs, I don't think I really intended to be to be one. It wasn't as if I said, oh, you know, I think I'm destined to be an entrepreneur. I got my skill set training in the salon industry as a professional skin therapist. And that was my career, right? So I had my skill set, but also typical of many entrepreneurs. I knew the industry I was in really well, and I saw things that I felt needed changing. And at some point, you just get sick of, tired of waiting for someone to change it. And you realize, oh, maybe I need to be that change and see where it goes. And so I emigrated to California in 1983, and that was a perfect start to kind of reinvent what I felt our professional skincare industry should be. And at that stage, no one was talking about skincare. There were no articles on skincare in any magazine. It was all makeup and hair and big hair. And so we stepped forward and, and my, my system, the theory was very simple. It's about skin health and well-being. It's not about beauty. 
And from that premise, we went forward. I taught the skill set I had. And then there was a clamor for a product and we introduced Dermalogica in 1986 to kind of fit that training and exclude the ingredients we didn't want to use. We were the first company, I think, ever to use the word serum in 1986, and everyone's like, what the heck is that? You know, we know about a moisturizer and a cleanser. Well, what the hell is the serum? We had serums and boosters and, of course, exfoliants and soap-free cleansers and, and what people would probably now say clean. I just like to say, you know, sort of like edited, <laughs> like judicious product formulation. But that was really it. That was the impetus. There was a gap in the industry which was skill set training in America and a product that fit a more advanced viewpoint of skincare. I love that. I, I'm shook over the fact that you started with the word serum. Like inventing it and introducing new concepts is a, a real challenge. You know, it's an educational piece, but one that you took on, which is amazing. So I mentioned this in the intro, but your mother told you to learn how to do something. What do you think you've learned how to do and what do you still hope to learn? Oh, that's a great question. Well, my mother said that to me and my three older sisters because she has had been widowed at age 38 with four girls to raise on her own and did not come from a wealthy family, did not have any kind of trust fund, didn't even have an insurance policy on my dad's life. He died unexpectedly of a heart attack. So she had a skill set and she was a qualified nurse. And even though she had not worked since she had started her family, she could fall back on that skill set. And because of that, and I saw that modeled, my mother would always say to us, look, whatever else you do, get a skill set, learn how to do something so you always have your training to fall back on. So that was just ingrained in, in all of us. And so what I learned was an industry that I, I had fallen in love with as a Saturday girl apprentice working in a local salon, which was the professional salon industry. And I specified I wanted to learn to be a skin therapist, which was a completely and still is a completely separate qualification in the UK than hair, it has nothing to do with hair. So I became a skin therapist. And what I still hope to learn, you know, I'm a seeker. It's sort of in my nature and I'm a traveler and I'm always looking to the next. I really don't look in the rearview mirror very much. I like to look forward. So I'm always open for something new and something to grow into. And I'm constantly looking, whether it's in health and wellness, whether it's in, you know, micro dosing, whether it's in fashion, whether it's in trading my car for an electric car as soon as that model is available. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning whatever I can before I go skidding into the next room, the next space. <laughs> I love that. So a constant learner. So I love that you were an expert, obviously, in sort of a B2B, B2C kind of world. But when you went into entrepreneurship, that was a totally different beast. Like you understood skincare, you understood that, that industry. But going into running a business, whole other ball game. So what were some of those limiting beliefs that you might have faced early on when you were an you know an early entrepreneur and what doubts did you have in your abilities and how did you get over them to work towards your goals? Oh, I pro it's probably the same as most entrepreneurs, I would say every entrepreneur because some seem as sort of confident as heck, but probably the same as most entrepreneurs especially as a woman bluntly and especially as an immigrant because it was the case then, and it's still the case now, the least likely people to get out any outside funding are women, immigrants, and people of color. 
And it makes absolutely no sense because, for example, women of color are starting businesses at nine times the rate of any other group, and yet least likely to get funded. Less than 1% of all funding goes to women of color, less than 4% to women in general. So it, it wasn't as if the world was beckoning for, for us to ever become entrepreneurs. But you, you do that because you realize there's an opportunity. I can see it. I know how I think I can solve it or at least contribute to it or at least improve upon it. And you go for it because there isn't really a plan B. You know, most entrepreneurs don't have a plan B behind them because so you're hungry as hell and this has to work. So it was sort of self-repeated enthusiasm that helped me overcome the syndrome that we all have, imposter syndrome, which is really just you haven't done it yet. So you don't know if you can. But guess what? We didn't learn how to walk until we got up and fell about quite a bit and fell over and couldn't walk. And then suddenly you get vertical. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm walking. So every single thing we do in life, we have never done until the first time we do it. And I just kept sort of repeating things like that to myself and saying, you can do this. And if you can't do this, if for whatever reason it doesn't work, and people say, you know, we don't understand, you know, what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, I went through all those negative scenarios. Then I will get a job in a, in a salon. I can always, I can wax a bikini line in under seven minutes. I actually think I could do it in under five minutes now. <laughs> so I've got a, I've got a saleable skill. And as bizarre as it might sound, Jacqueline, every time I go anywhere, small villages, big cities, hilltop towns in foreign countries where I don't speak the language. If I see a salon of some description, whether it's in a building or under a tree, somebody's doing something, I think, oh, thank goodness, I could get a job. I love that. I think that's such a strong mentality to have. It's like, what's the fallback? And the fallback is you. You are the person that has to make that happen. So you mentioned this, but you very much started Dermalogica with a beginner's mind. You didn't have money, investors, knowledge of the landscape. Why was this actually a good thing? Like, tell us a little bit about the pros of doing it that way. Well, it's a little bit like, you know, when you, when you don't know enough to do it, you do it. You know, if someone had said to me at that time, and the, the blessing was I was an immigrant. My boyfriend was an immigrant. Now my husband, we've been married for 35 years. But when we started, neither of us knew anything about the American business model or the landscape. And we, th- we decided we're going to do this. So the, the beauty of, if, if you want, of, of that mindset is you're in a complete growth mindset. If someone had told us 98% of small businesses fail, yeah. usually in the first two years, how are you going to fund this if you have no money? We actually had $14,000 of sort of savings and things we sold and gathered it together, but certainly not enough to, we had sort of three months we could run and then we had to be making money. We probably might not have done it because we would have just said, oh, that just sounds like a lot of, you know, of effort and, and very little reward. That was, we never did that. We, we said, we're going for it, head down, going for it. It's going to be the adventure of a lifetime. We're going to learn a lot, no matter what happens. And this can and must work because there is a gap. There is a lack of skill set training. There is an audience of, of clients here in the United States, especially in California. And I have to say, I believe California had and still has the most unbelievably fertile entrepreneurial energy of anywhere I've worked or lived. You're just going for it. 
I live in Los Angeles and a lot of people say Los Angeles and California in general is quite fickle. You know, we're kind of switching and snapping to the next new thing and half of them are gimmicks and silly. That may be true, but guess what? That is a very nimble mindset. That is the mindset of an entrepreneur. It's being able to, as we now say, pivot and jump and switch and change. That's living in California and literally just in, whether it's an earthquake or a mudslide or a drought, we'll deal with it. <laughs> there was something about that that kind of triggered us. Yeah. I was going to say, especially this week when there might be all three, we don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. we're, just waiting. we're just waiting for that third. <laughs> oh gosh. So your title at Dermalogica is chief visionary. I love that so much. So how do you define the term visionary and why do you think every company needs one? That was a title I gave myself many, many years ago. I actually, my first title I wanted was Dominatrix of World Skincare, but <laughs> I, we decided <laughs> a little fear. I love it. I love it. Um, Chief visionary. A visionary is somebody who has the ability and the time to kind of look on the horizon at what is coming. It's not that you see something that doesn't exist at all, but you're seeing what we call the green shoots. I was seeing, I'm going back now, literally 30, 30 years. I was seeing the green shoots then of organic farming and organic, sustainable clothing starting to be just kind of talked about on the fringes. And this idea, of course, of climate change and, and everything I would see, I still do this. I think, how does, how will that apply to the industry I know and love and work in? And of course, so I thought this, I felt the same way that we need our formulations. We've got to look at formulations. And so when we launched, we no mineral oil, no lanolin, no artificial color, no fragrance, no SD alcohol, no formaldehyde as a preservative. No one was doing that. We have no jars. We, we have all contamination-free packaging. And we also, by the way, just won a global award for our sustainability next step, which is a mono pump, which eliminates the need for a metal spring, which can't be recycled. So we're constantly looking at the forward. And the visionary is a little bit like a speedboat attached to an ocean liner. As a visionary, you're the speedboat. You go out, you scout the horizon, you travel, you see, you look, you run back quickly to the ocean liner and give your messages and then rush off again. Because the ocean liner is a big vessel and it's not going to spot something as quickly as a speedboat. So that's how my analogy is in my head. And I see that as my role. And, and I really see three things that I'm always thinking about. And that is our brand and its image, the brand and its positioning, which is a little different. It's where do we move? How do we go there? How do we get there? And then the third thing, of course, and they're all equally as important, product formulations and packaging and how how does that look? How should it look? And how should we be strategizing for how it will look in five years' time? All super crucial pieces of the puzzle. And kudos to you on that award. I mean, the little spring, it's like the things you don't think of, especially as a larger company that's been around for a long time, it's hard to unpack some of those things. So, th so congratulations on that. So I was fascinated to hear this, but Dermalogica trains over 100,000 skin therapists per year. Why is this a key part of the business and how has this practice impacted the success of the company? Oh, it's, it's everything about our success. You know, the professional skin therapist, which is what I am, it's who I am as well. 
we are the largest, we put more people in business than, than any other, the salon industry, than any other, especially women. 98% of all skin therapists so far are women. There's no reason for that. It's just the way the statistic lies and because we access the training earlier and populated the, the industry. It is shifting though, and that's a great thing. So it, there's no sort of rhyme or reason as to you know what what makes an, an an industry the way it is other than when you trace back and look at the the history of it so w- the training is essential and that training built what we call our community or as they call themselves the dermalogica tribe they literally will say to me we bleed gray because our packaging is gray and so th- <laughs> there's this incredible community which then we felt was very, very unique to us and very important to us. It's not a channel of distribution. It's a community. And now when you look at social media and everyone talking about this idea of community, we know how impactful and how important and how influential the word influencer wasn't even around then. But we now see how that leads to changes in society, in our behavior, in our culture, and in our viewpoint. And that was exactly how it worked for us. So the, the plumbing's different these days, but the, but the actual secret source, if you want to call it that, is the same. And that is build community, mm. tight, that understands and believes in your message, that isn't an in for today and out for tomorrow. Keep cementing it and building it. Keep talking directly to them. Keep honoring them and listening to them. And keep assessing whether you are holding true to what brought you to the party or are you veering off on a slipstream which will leave you on the edge of the riverbank. You want to be right in the middle where all the action is happening. Yeah, I love that so much. Loyalty is so hard and finding those, you know, brand advocates that will stick yeah. with you over the years is so crucial. And and obviously, as we know today, community is everything. So, so many people out there have entrepreneurial dreams, right? They look at you and they're like, I want to do that. But for now, they have to continue working at a pre-existing company. What is your best advice for cultivating an intrapreneurial spirit within a company that you're working for? I think it's essential, actually, that every company have entrepreneurs. So an entrepreneur is simply somebody who's got an entrepreneurial mindset but they aren't going to necessarily start their own business to explore and and nurture that. They want to do it in an existing company. And we have to encourage that. You look at all the successful companies, you know, whether it's, you know, Apple, whether it's Facebook, whether it's, well, I guess one could say SpaceX, Tesla, all of these brands that everyone would know about globally. There's an entrepreneurial mindset that basically encourages move fast, break something. There will be a risk, but we we can quickly change and change direction and adapt to it. That is an entrepreneur. So those companies were started by entrepreneurs, but without entrepreneurs in that company now, any of them or any entrepreneurial company that grows, you don't have the, the steam engine that you will need because everything is shifting so fast. You have to have people that can spot that. And if you have that entrepreneurial mindset and you're working in a larger company, you need to bring that creativity, whether you're in packaging, whether you're in shipping, whether you're in product development, whether you're in marketing, education, sales, you need to bring that entrepreneurial thinking that you have to the team and make sure that it's heard and make sure that you're seen. 
So do not shrink yourself or tell your coworkers your great idea, you know, over over lunch, but not ever share it with somebody that could actually implement it. Yeah, I I love that so much. And and truly, entrepreneurs are such a great find for companies. So when you find them, nourish them. So a a question for you is, how do you encourage entrepreneurship at Dermalogica? Well, I'm, I think I, I model it. And I also know that now with our, we have a brilliant CEO. He's been our CEO for seven years, Aurelian Lease. He, he has, he is an entrepreneur and he was an entrepreneur. So we encourage all the time. We're looking for it. We're, we're, we're kind of sponsoring people within the teams to step forward and raise their ideas and, and have quick huddles together where we can quickly exchange ideas rather than waiting for that planned meeting that could, you know, take, take a month. And that really came to the fore and helped us and worked for us during COVID when we were working remotely around the world. And we have, you know, over 1600 people that work for Dermalogica around the world. So to be in touch like that, we were fully set up to have these conversations virtually and to do our education virtually and to be able to still keep that drumbeat working. And so we all contribute to whether it's me modeling as the company and sort of our our legacy and our DNA, whether it's the skin therapists that are coming to classes and they are entrepreneurs themselves because they own their own salons and businesses, or whether it's our own teams within Dermalogica that are being encouraged to constantly bring their ideas together and share it with the group on a global platform. Yeah, I, I love that so much. And and to your point, it's amazing that you have that many employees globally. Like, what an incredible organization. So the global cosmetic market is projected to grow from $288 billion in 2021 to $415 billion in 2028. With so much competition, what is your advice to entrepreneurs yearning to enter an industry, yearning to enter the beauty industry and are like, ah, how do I stand out? How do I, you know, kind of survive this, you know, kind of cutthroat competitive industry? Someone once said to me many years ago, it's very crowded at the bottom. It's not crowded at the top. In other words, yeah, there's a lot of people start running that marathon. But at the end of the marathon, you know, there's just a handful of people mm-hmm. that, that finish strong and maybe finish at all and and all have a place. Don't don't be intimidated by the size of a market. Be encouraged by it. So say, oh, my gosh, yes, there's never been more competition. And whether it's online, whether it's an influencer, whether it's TikTok, whether it's a store, a salon, a space, whatever's coming next, because there will be a next, that is a validation of how needed the industry is mm. and how much thirst and hunger there is for growth. I remember in about 2012, I saw a statistic that I shared with the team and I said, there's going to be a 40%, 40% growth in our industry between 2018 and 2022. And people thought I was mad. They said, that cannot be correct. That's way too high. And I said, I don't think so. I think it's coming. It's coming for skincare. And that is what's growing the industry. Mm -hmm. This enormous surge towards well-being and skin health and not beauty. And and so by watching out for that, yes, you can be discouraged now and say, oh, there's so much competition. There's always been competition. It just looked different. And maybe it was hidden and you didn't know that there was that amazing person in Australia. Now you know and it can scare you half to death because you think, oh my God, where is there room for me? Yes. Do not shrink yourself. Go forward. It's not that you don't look at your competition. 
but it's rather like a little bit of blinkers. You can take a look and then look forward and run for the tape. If you keep checking on your competition, you will lose your pace and your momentum and you will scare yourself. So check it out. Always know what's going on in your peripheral vision, but always look forward. Don't look to the side. I love that advice so much. It's always crowded at the bottom. That's a good one. I'm definitely going to use that in the future. So Dermalogica has really created its own language within the beauty industry. Tell me about the decision to ditch the word beauty as it relates to skincare and how language choices such as calling something a skin treatment instead of a facial have really defined the Dermalogica brand. Language is critical. Language is, it defines our our collective thinking. It defines our society. It defines how we position ourselves. We've been using the word influencer. Just that word has completely almost changed its meaning in the last 10 years. And so that's the power of language. So it's very intentional at Dermalogica when we say something and we say, this is what we call ourselves. This is how we name it. So for me, the word beauty is never applied to skincare because I see the skin, which it is, the largest living organ of the human body Mm. and the only one that's visible. So for me, it's always been about health, about well-being, about bringing your skin to its optimum level of health and condition because it has to have a barrier function, it has to have a breathing function, it has to have, as well as, oh, and by the way, if you do all that, you will bring it to its optimum appearance as well. But it was never about beauty because for me, that word beauty, it's fine when applied to a sunset, but I don't like it applied to a person, especially because it's applied so often to women. Mm. And especially because it is so narrow a definition of what we might consider beautiful. And in fact, that is a very, very broad, broad description of of everyone and anything, if you see it in that way. And so at Domologica, we've never used the word. My original training, I went to beauty school. I've never, I've always called it that because that's what it called itself, but it's not who I am. I'm not a beauty therapist. I'm a skin therapist. We don't do, give treats on Mother's Day. We give skin treatments every day. If we see it, we treat it. And Domologica can treat it all. And so it's not a facial, it's not like a pampering luxury indulgence, it's a skin treatment to deliver your skin in its optimum condition and well-being. And what I was so excited to see just this weekend, Jacqueline, is there was a huge piece in the Financial Times out of London, and it mentioned it in their magazine and in the paper, that has the word beauty disappeared, is it still relevant? And of course, I read it and said, no, (laughs) our industry. I think you could even apply it to color cosmetics, to makeup. And I love makeup. I, who doesn't love a fuchsia lip? But for skincare, it, we're, in a, we're more in the healthcare arena and less in any kind of beauty arena. And I think that's what's giving us our power and strength right now. People trust that and they take it seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Such great insights. And I'll definitely have to go read that article after. If you go back to the beginning of your career, if you're looking back with the knowledge that you have now, is there anything you would have done differently? Yes, probably lots. But one thing that I've that I've often thought about, and I actually talk about this, I, I wrote a book last year, it actually just came into paperback this month, which is called Skin in the Game. And it's about an entrepreneur's journey and how you find everything you need inside you to live your biggest life. But the one thing I talk about as being something I would have done differently 
and Raymond and I agree on this because we built the company together. We we were very strong founders and very strong leaders. And we've always had amazing and incredible teams that have stayed with us a long time. And yet we fell into a trap of thinking that the bigger expertise was out there. In other words, there's someone out there that knows much more than we do, that has done this before. They probably work for a big company. We have to perhaps headhunt them or get them to come in as a CEO because, you know, we just started this from nothing. You know, what do we know? It's back to that sort of imposter shrinking yourself. And we we tried hiring. We did hire two different CEOs that were not culturally a fit. And therefore, despite that they were smart and talented, it's not how smart you are. It's how are you smart? And they didn't fit how you are smart in Dermalogica. We now have a great CEO, but if I had had, if I'd done it differently, it would have been that we would have looked within our team, the people that started with us, we would have made sure that mm. at least three or four were on track to take over that senior role and step up and step in. And now that we have the beauty of sort of be able to look over our back a little bit and just look at what that experience was like. We had those people in the company and we didn't act on it soon enough. And that's my biggest regret. I I think that's great advice. There's good on paper, not good in action. And I think those things are so true. I, I think that definitely write that one down. Everyone who's listening, that was great advice. So let's end with some sentence finishers. Okay. Okay. The, <laughs> the product I'm most proud of making is? Mm, so many. It's like picking your favorite child. Daily Microfoliant. It was the very first and still the leading powder exfoliant. Developed it 20 years ago after a trip to Japan where I went to an onsen where they do traditional Japanese wellness treatments and rice powder was one of them. Brought that idea back, gave it to our R&D team and Daily Microfoliant was born in 20. 2001, 2002. Yeah. Amazing. I've had the opportunity to try it and I absolutely love it. It's great for travel as well. Number one piece of financial advice for entrepreneurs is? Number one piece of financial advice for anyone is have your own bank account, meaning don't don't have a joint bank account with someone else. I don't care who they are. You have your own bank account. So you are in control of your self-determined future. So that's the number one thing. From a business point of view, it's margin. Make sure you've got enough margin built in above your cost of goods so that you can have the margin to sell to a distributor in another country and they still have the margin to be able to distribute at a level of which your product is positioned. So many people don't pay enough attention to the margin they have, the gross profit margin between their cost of goods, what it's costing you to make, and what you're ultimately going to sell it for. They look at what the retail price is going to be to a consumer. They think the margin is built back from that. The margin is built all the way back, but you've got to allow enough for yourself, enough for a distributor, et cetera, et cetera, and enough margin in our industry to be able to do the amount of promotional work and educational work, the training of the 100,000 a year to be able to afford to do that. So margin is everything. It's absolutely true and so, so important. A non-negotiable for our business is? Oh, a non-negotiable for our business is trust and honesty. 
it's non-negotiable. It's everything. If if you don't have your credibility, people don't trust you. And if they don't trust your product, they're not buying it. Yes, absolutely. I always say your reputation is your resume and it is very, very true. The most rewarding thing about being a founder is? Oh, the most rewarding thing about being a founder is having the incredible joy of seeing your the business that you built literally from scratch going forward and kind of it's like seeing your child go to college or perhaps I don't have grandchildren yet but I have two two children perhaps seeing grandchildren you suddenly see that something you believed in so strongly something that you cared about and loved deeply has gone on to succeed and and thrive on its own and that's for me if you have that opportunity I, I wish it for every founder that you see your dream come to life and not just to you, but to the many people who benefit from that. Yes, I love that. And lastly, I celebrate a big win by? Oh, I celebrate a big win by getting a treatment. I always go and get a skin treatment or a massage, probably a couple of glasses of champagne in there too, but uh, definitely some self-care. Honestly, that would be my answer. So we should have a girl's day and do that. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for joining us. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, Dermalogica, and your book? Yes, please. You can find my book pretty much everywhere. Certainly Amazon.com, all the major booksellers. It's in paperback, audio book, and I do read the audio and hardback. You can certainly find Dermalogica at Dermalogica.com, and it's a global platform and so much information and education, tips, techniques, products news, everything there. And you can find me on Instagram, Dermalogica Jane. Oh, I love it. And we have a special treat for our work party listeners. If you head to Dermalogica.com and use code party, you will get a free travel size daily microfoliant when you spend $20. That's at Dermalogica.com. That's D-E-R-M-A-L-O-G-I-C-A.com. Thanks. Thank you so much. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.